As a parent, I know that the example I'm about to give to you might be similar to how you deal with your own children when they are misbehaving, especially when our children are still young. In the Philippines, uh, we don't want our children to go to the backyard because there are lots of snakes, even cobras. Uh, they are deadly. And so we give instruction to them not to go there alone. We need our eyes to be on them so that they will not be beaten by snakes. However, most parents would use to scare their children with another kind of fear. And that is the fear of tikbalang. A tikbalang is a mythical half-human, half-horse creature which is believed to be the caretaker of the forest. And when the, the person enters their territory, the Tikbalang has the power to confuse people so that they wouldn't be able to come out of their territory and then forever trap them there. This is a myth, of course. This is a, a uh, myth that we believe in the Philippines. And because Tikbalang is a frightening creature, most of our parents would use the fear of Tikbalang so that their children would behave. Now, I know that some of you have, might have done this in the past. You use ghosts or goblins so that you can scare children and they, then they would behave. But I want to be clear that this is not a good parenting. Uh, parents should not use the fear of ghosts, vampire, or anything to discipline their children. Instead, we should teach our children to follow our instructions, which is rooted in the Word of God. Now, in our text today, Gideon and the Israelites in the book of Judges were supposed to fear God alone. Over and over, the commandments they received from their ancestors was not to fear their enemies, but to fear God alone. However, like the exchange of fear that we have in the Philippines, exchanging the right instruction with a bad uh, way of parenting, scaring their kids, the Israelites and Gideon, including him, did not fear the Lord. They forgot God's instruction. Instead, they feared their enemies. Oftentimes, we are like this. Uh, we are fearing anything else in our life. But this should not be. The word of the Lord teaches that we should fear the Lord only. Brothers and sisters and dear friends, this is what our text, Judges 6, 1-32, will help us to see today. That all people fear something. And the only question is, do we have the right object of our fear? So let's hear from God's word as we, as we learn this particular one main message that I want you to remember. Fear the Lord and nothing else because He is our salvation. Fear the Lord and nothing else because He is our salvation. And I've structured the passage into three parts. The first is dealing with fear, which we can learn from verse 1 to verse 10. Second, the object of fear from verse 11 to 24. The fruit of fear from verse 25 to 32. Dealing with fear... The object of fear, the fruit of fear. 
And you can find this outline at the back of your bulletin to help you. And so, let's together learn from God's Word. Let's read from Judges chapter 6, verse 1 to 10. The Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So, the Lord handed them over to Midian seven years, and they oppressed Israel. Because of Midian, the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and the Kedemites came and attacked them. They encamped against them and destroyed the produce of the land, even as far as Gaza. They left nothing for Israel to eat, as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. For the Midianites came with their cattle and their tents like a great swarm of locusts. They and their camels were without number, and they entered the land to lay waste to it. So Israel became poverty-stricken because of Midian. And the Israelites cried out to the Lord. When the Israelites cried out to him because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to them. He said to them, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you out of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. I rescued you from the power of Egypt and the power of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites whose land you live in. But you did not obey me. Now, without the background of the story, it will be hard for us to understand the author's point. And to help us see that, let's have a proper context of our story. It's like what we studied a while ago in our Sunday school. Judges 1 gives us a summary of what happened after Israel entered the Promised Land. Israel was supposed to clean the land from its ungodliness because God's presence requires holiness. However, instead of removing ungodliness, what did Israel do? They joined the evil practices of the land by intermarrying with the ungodly people of Canaan. And so they were enticed to worship their idols. They disobeyed the very first commandment of the Lord by worshiping idols. Now, another helpful context of this story is also found in the book of Judges itself. It is the pattern of disobedience in the life of Israel. And Judges chapter 2, verse 18 to 19, is a very helpful uh, place so that we can learn the summary of this pattern. Judges chapter 2, verse 18 to 19, you can take note of that. It says that whenever the Lord raised up Judges, He delivered Israel, He delivered Israel from their enemies, while the judge was still alive. The Lord was moved to pity whenever they groaned because of those who were oppressing them. But whenever the judges died, the Israelites would act even more corruptly than their ancestors. So with these two backgrounds, it helps us to understand the problem that Judges 6 is trying to present to us in this text, particularly in verse 1. Look with me in verse 1. Verse 1, Israel's old problem is being renewed. Israel did 
what was evil in the eyes of God. And that resulted for the Lord delivering them into the hands of Midian. And so going down farther to verse 10 of our text, the author explains that their suffering was caused by their disobedience, specifically fearing idols rather than God. Now, because we are trying to learn what's the problem, the question that we can ask here is, what is fear? What is fear to be the problem that the Lord would hand them over to their enemies? What did God mean when he said that Israel feared idols? Well, idols are just made of woods. It can do nothing to them. Thankfully, a clear explanation of fear was given also to us in the story. Israel feared the Midianites. So that's an example of fear. That Israel feared the Midianites and they went to hiding places such as dens and caves in the mountains. And so that was the result of their or the action that resulted from their fear. And so the, according to this passage, fear determines our action based on what the object of our fear can do to us. Let me repeat that. Fear determines our actions based on what the object of our fear can do to us. In the case of Israel, they fear the Midianites. Midianites is the object of their fear. So what did the Midianites do to them? They oppressed Israel. What was the result of Israel's fear? They fled to the mountains. To summarize again, fear controlled the actions of the Israelites according to what they think the Midianites can do to them. And that is where we can understand fear. Because of this, we can understand that the main problem of Israel is not because they are being fearful. Their problem is that they were being controlled by the object of their fear, which is the wrong object. Instead of fearing the right object, which is the Lord, they feared the wrong object, which, is the, which are the Midianites. And so that resulted to their wrong action. Okay? When they fear the Midianites, they fled to the mountains. And so this is the same thing when God was saying to them, when they fear idols, they are basically rejecting God in His rightful place in their lives. They're replacing God with idols. Later in our passage, we will learn that the idols that Israelites replace God with are Baal and Asherah. They were the Canaanite idols in the land, which is believed to be the bringer of rain, sustaining the fertility of the crops, even animals and peoples. Asherah is the female version of Baal, the Canaanite fertility goddess. And so what does it mean to fear Baal and Asherah? It means that the people think that this Baal and Asherah can control the rain so that it can give them benefit giving them the produce of the land. And so it controlled their action. Instead of fearing God, 
giving him his rightful place, they give their fear to Baal and Asherah and worship idols, believing that these idols can be a benefit for them. And because of this, we should know that the reason for Israelites suffering is because they rejected the word of the Lord and they worship idols. That's the problem, not because they are being fearful. And so we should know the right place of fear in our lives. There's a, there is a place of fear in our lives. We also suffer like Israel. Our suffering is not worse than their sufferings. Verse 3 of our passage tells that not only the Midianites, but also the Amalekites and the people of the east came and attacked them. They encamped against them, continue on oppressing them, and destroyed their source of living until they become poverty-stricken. They can eat nothing already. And so think about the kind of life that they have. Imagine your children living in the dens in the mountain or in the caves in the mountain. What's worse than that? But nevertheless, by looking back to ourselves, we also suffer. And when we suffer, sometimes we think and act like Israel. What if my health doesn't get better? What if I die? What if I lose my job? What if I become poor? What if I feel lonely when I get old? What, whatever things that controls our emotion, thoughts, and attitudes and behaviors, that becomes the object of our fear. Now what or who we think we need in life controls us. That we need to realize. Our trouble starts when we remove God as the proper object of our fear. We remove God as the only person whom we need in life and replace God with something else in our lives. But when the Lord has his rightful place in us, our actions are controlled to do the things that are pleasing to him. When we fear God, we pray to him, we cry to him during our hard situations. That's the rightful thing to do. The problem is we've dealt with our fear the wrong way. Some examples of that are how our culture has transformed our mind dealing with fear. We will be studying, going back to our text, verse 2 to 5, the actions of Israelites were controlled by their fear. And so, instead of crying out to the Lord, they made the temporary solution for themselves. Not only until the situation is very, very bad, until they cry out to God. Sometimes this is how we react to our own circumstances. We do a lot of other things to improve or help our situation instead of crying to the Lord for help. We only cry to God when things become so very bad. Sadly, our culture also helps us to think wrongly because our culture has medicalized fear. We treat it like a kind of disease that should be done away with using drugs. Just like eating paracetamol to remove your headache or your fever. Now, I'm not saying that 
the medical fields is not helpful in treating our anxiety. In fact, they are helpful in diagnosing anxiety and depression and help us to alleviate the worst result of anxiety and depression. However, my point is simply saying that treating fear like a disease is not the ultimate solution. Our culture also teaches to deal with fear by replacing it with greater confidence on ourselves. Not to listen to the opinion outside ourselves, like the Bible, for example. Instead, you should be the one determining what's right and wrong for you. Sadly, this is not what the Bible teaches. This is wrong. There are lots of ways we dealt with our fear the wrong way. Now let's go back to God's word. Let's deal with our fear the right way. And the Lord teaches us through his word that the right way to deal with fear is to go back to God. Know who he is and remember who he is, what he has done. And that can happen when we go back to the word of the Lord. Just like what happened in our passage. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord, what did the Lord do? He sent a prophet to them. The prophet delivered the Lord's message. The prophet is trying to communicate that what Israel needs that very time is not deliverance from the Midianites immediately. Later on, we will learn in some other preaching that I will do later that Gideon will deliver Israel from the Midianites. But that's not the immediate thing that the Lord wants to happen. The Lord wants them to remember what God has done. Look with me in verse 7 onwards. They were reminded by what the Lord has done to them from delivering them out from the slavery of Egypt. But also the Lord tell them that they needed repentance. They received the rebuke of the Lord that they fear idols instead of God. Hebrews 12.6 says that the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. Why did I mention this? Because it is better to be treated as a child of God being disciplined by his word through rebuke than being treated as God's enemies. Remember in our stories, there are two kinds of people here. The Israelites, which is the child of God, though, though they are disobeying the Lord, the Lord treats them as his children. And the Lord is asking them to repent from their sins by a rebuke. But there's also the Midianites, the enemies. In the end, because they did not repent, they were judged by the Lord. So think about how many times your elders has come to you and maybe has given you a word in the form of rebuke. Think about the brother and sister who is gathering the boldness to say or point things that you need to change in your life. Think about the discipleships that help you to know the, word of, to know the Lord through His Word. To enrich yourself with the knowledge of God and the knowledge of you and your need of Him. Think about these things, brothers and sisters. The right way to deal with our fear is to cry out to God and to go to His Word. Now we've tackled that fear controls our action according to what we think the object of our fear can do to us. We've seen that 
We've seen that in the example given to us in our passage, in the Midianites being the object of fear of Israelites. And we've seen how the Midianites affected their lives. So the question that remains is, how will the Lord deliver Israel from the grass of the Midian? The answer is, when the God of Exodus, the one who delivered them from Egypt, once again rescues Israel from the oppression and takes his place as the proper object of Israel's fear. The Lord needs to be at the center of their worship life. And so we go to our second point, the object of our fear. Read with me from verse 11 to verse 24. The angel of the Lord came and he sat under the oak that was in Oprah, which belonged to Joash, the Abizarite. His son, Gideon, was threshing wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about? They said, Hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now... The Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. He said to him, Please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's family. But I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike Midian down as if it were one man. Then he said to him, If I have found favor with you, give me a sign that you are speaking with me. Please do not leave this place until I return to you. Let me bring my gift and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon went and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from a half bushel of flour. He placed the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat with the unleavened bread, put it on the stone, and pour the broth on it. So he did that. The angel of the Lord extended the tip of, his, of the staff that was in his, in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And the unleavened bread. Fire came up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. Then the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. When Gideon realized that he was the angel of the Lord, he said, Oh no, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace to you. Don't be afraid, for you will not die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. It is still in opera of the Abizarites today. Now we see God's deliverance starting to happen in the sections uh, in the second section of our passage by calling Gideon to deliver God's people. In verse 11, we can see that the angel of the Lord appeared. And then going further down to verse 24, we see that Gideon built an altar and called it, The Lord is Peace. 
So by looking at start to end, we can think, what happened? What happened from uh, the situation, from the bad situation to becoming a good one? From oppression to deliverance or from wrong fear to right fear. As we will see in the following conversation, God can deliver His people even in the worst possible condition. God is mighty to save even in the worst state of our own unbelief. It is because of God's grace. So let's see these stages in the conversation that took place between Gideon and the angel of the Lord. Let's start with doubt that should be removed in the life of Gideon. Verse 11 says that the angel of the Lord appeared once again. And in the same way that the angel of the Lord appeared in the past in the life of Moses and Abraham, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. The angel said to Gideon in verse 12, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. And so how do you think should Gideon respond to this? Gideon should rejoice because God is reminding him of his promise. It appears that Gideon doesn't realize that it is the angel of the Lord that speaks to him. And because of this, his response to the word of God that he heard is doubt instead of faith. Let me rephrase verse 13 so that we can understand somehow, if I use our language today, what Gideon was trying to say, to say here. Look at verse 13 and then hear what I am saying. This might be how Gideon might have said it. Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Please, no more of this story. We've heard it enough. My grandfather used to tell us that the Lord is our deliverer. But I just can't see that happening, especially now. Look, how could you say that the Lord is with us, knowing how much suffering we are in? Gideon find everything he needs to believe that the Lord is Israel's salvation in verse 13 to 16. Because his ancestors has faithfully taught him about who the Lord is. He knew that God delivered Israel from Egypt through Moses. And now he can be reminded of that because God is calling him to, deli- to, uh, to be a valiant warrior. But he also knew that the Lord has given his covenant that if they disobey it, it will turn out to suffering, being being handed over to their enemies. He received the Lord's command to deliver Israel from uh, from the Midianites, just like Moses. And the Lord promised that his presence will be with him. However, as you continue on reading these passages, we can see that his doubt to the Lord is evident. He is doubting who the Lord is and his salvation. He's doubting them by examining his weakness, how weak he is from his family, and even from seeking signs to the Lord. Lord, if I found favor from you, let me offer you a gift. Don't go until I return. So Gideon is being doubtful here. When we think about this one Israelite hearing the word of the Lord 
that promised deliverance yet doubted, we wonder how far has Israel's reject, rejection of God has gone. Gideon represents them in this case. However, it is also in this passage that we can find hope. That no matter how hopeless our situation is, the Lord in His kindness grants His grace. In the case of Gideon, the angel of the Lord accepted his offering. He found favor in the Lord's sight. So let's talk about God's favor for a minute. In verse 17, Gideon asked for a sign that the Lord's favor be with him. In verse 19, Gideon prepared a young goat and unleavened bread to offer them as a gift. Though it doesn't have many details, it communicates the Old Testament language of an offering that is unblemished and sinless so that it would find acceptance in the Lord. By looking at this, we can see the contrast, Gideon's doubt and God's favor. And so it tells us the immensity of God's grace in Gideon's life. How could the Lord still grant him favor and kindness even in the midst of his doubt? And my dear friends, this is actually our own condition before God as sinners. It is not because we pray many times. It is not because we are pious, kind, loving, and helping the needy that the Lord would accept us, that would declare us deemed as righteous. But it is only through the Lord's favor given to us. And how does the Lord give us His favor? By the sacrificial offering of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only sinless offering that was offered to God and has found favor in God's sight. What is our own offering? They are all tainted with sin. We need the offering of Jesus Christ. We need Jesus Christ so that we can be delivered from our bondage of sin. No matter how, how much we think we have been so loving or so upright, our sins would always make our offering unworthy to God. And so let's go to Jesus Christ. Repent from our sin and believe and receive the offering of God's salvation that is in Him. That's God's favor. But how did God's favor was given to Him? And how will God continue on His um, uh, deliverance in the life of Gideon? Or Israel. Look at me in verse 21, and we would see that God reveals who He is. The problem of Israelites is that they forgot the Lord. The solution, remember the Lord for who He is. When the angel of the Lord extended His staff on the offering, fire consumed it, and then the angel of the Lord vanished from Gideon's side. Verse 22, Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, and he said, Oh no, Lord God, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And then in verse 23, the Lord said to him, Peace to you. Don't be afraid, for you will not die. One helpful parallel to think about this is the experience of Isaiah in chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord seated on his throne. And what did Isaiah exclaim? 
Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. Because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of our armies. Isaiah saw who God is. And he saw who he is before the Lord. And he saw what is his need before the Lord. In the same way, Kijun became aware of who the Lord is. His holiness deemed him death. He, he should die on the spot because of seeing the Lord face to face. But nevertheless, the Lord revealed himself to be gracious. Peace be to you. In the same way, this is the same case for us. We need to be reminded of who God is in our circumstances in life. We need to go back to his word and remind ourselves about God's salvation. We need to remind ourselves about the return of Jesus Christ and the glory that awaits for every believer in him. We need to do this so that we can encourage one another, brothers and sisters, in the Lord. Turning our eyes away from ourselves and serving one another so that we can be reminded of who God is by crying out to the Lord and going to his word. Only through that will the right fear of God happen. This is the last stage that happened to Gideon. He has the right fear of God here. Although later on, we can still find that he is still doubtful in some ways. Later on in my preaching, um, maybe on April, uh, I don't know, when, was, when is that? Um, Gideon will still seek signs to the Lord. Therefore, he's in the process of sanctification. Nevertheless, the right fear of God started here. Gideon, in verse 24, seemed to discover the right fear of God by building an altar to Yahweh and calling his name, the Lord is peace. So can we see the significant change that happened to Gideon's life? From doubt to believe in the Lord of God because by remembering who God is. In light of this passage, how should we think about our own view of God? Is God to be someone ruling our lives? Is he the one who is sitting in the throne room of our lives, being the proper object of our sin? Or is Jesus among the many spirits or saints or ancestors that we cry to when we are sick, troubled, or having a hard time? Let me tell you that Jesus is the only rightful and one and only proper object of our fear because he is our salvation. In the same way that Gideon will deliver the, Mid- the Israelites from the grass of the Midianites, Jesus is the one who can deliver us from the grasp of Satan. And as Gideon progressed from doubt to the right fear of God, we also need to progress in our belief in the Lord. How does that happen? By continuously going to the Word of God. We also need to forsake all hindrances that blocks our way in understanding who God is. If the object of our fear are our circumstances instead of Jesus, know that they are blocking our way to see the Lord in His glory and how He can help us in our particular situation in life. And so, we need to know who the Lord is. 
When we know the Lord, it is shown also in our action, in our lives. And that is the third point of our sermon today. The fruit of fear, which we can read from verse 25 to verse 32. Read with me verse 25 to 32. On that very night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull and second bull, seven years old, then tear down the altar of Baal that belongs to your father and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Build a well-constructed altar to the Lord your God on the top of this mound. Take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. And so Gideon took ten of his male servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his father's family and the men of the city, to do in the daytime, he did it at night. When the men of the city got up in the morning, they found Baal's altar torn down. The Asherah pole beside it cut down, and the second bull offered on the altar that he had built. They said to each other, Who did this? After they made a thorough investigation, they said, Gideon, the son of Joas, did it. Then the men of the city said to Joas, Bring out your son, he must die, because he tore down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Would you plead Baal's case for him? Would you save him? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him plead his own case, because, he, because someone tore down his altar. That day he was called Jerubal, because, since Joash said, Let Baal contend with him, because he tore down his altar. And so in verse 25, we can see that Gideon's fear of the Lord has come to a test. God commanded him to tear down the altar of the idols that belong to his family. Now destroying the altar of an idol, who people believe to be improving their lives, is like hitting the windshield of the car of your neighbor. How would you imagine the son of your neighbor carrying a hammer early in the morning in his hand start hitting the windshield of your car? You would be very angry because you use your car to improve your life. You use your car to make your life easy, to travel to your workplaces, to bring your family to the places you needed to go. And in the same way, in the, same way the men of the city believe Baal and Asherah to be improving their lives. And so Gideon is to destroy the altar of Baal, who everyone, including the father of Gideon, believed to be improving their life. Now, why would the Lord command Gideon this kind of command? Simply because this is what Israel needs to be delivered from immediately. The fear of idols instead of the fear of the Midianites. Instead, Israel need to repent from their sin of forgetting the Lord and rejecting His words. Because of this, it resulted to fearing other gods instead of the Lord. And the fruit of their fear is the evil act, a renewal of the evil act that Israel over and over did in the book of Judges. Therefore, the main cause of their suffering must be dealt with the Lord commanded Gideon, tear down 
Baal's altar and put my altar on top of it. Replace it. Eradicate it. Put my altar on top of it and offer to me a pleasing sacrifice. Therefore, the fruit of his fear is his obedience to the Lord. The evidence that he fear God is if he will obey. Will Gideon obey God? However, we see in our passage that there are two exhibits of fear happening here. Gideon used the cover of the darkness of the night in obeying God's command because of his fear of man. And Joash, my son's name, who in the broad daylight stood against all odds, the men of the city gathering, he defended the act of Gideon, the righteous act of Gideon, though Gideon is doubtful. Two different actions that reveal who they truly fear. Who do you think fear the Lord? Is it Gideon or Joash? Well, we can say that it is Joash who did not fear men but gave a chance for God to deliver him in a difficult circumstances. We see the fruit of the fear of Joash. And actually, it is an influence of the half obedience of Gideon. And so we see what was read a while ago in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, that even sometimes our obedience came out of, of our fear some people would be, or some brothers and sisters in the Lord would be influenced by that, to do the right thing. And so I would encourage you to never stop of seeking sanctification, helping one another. Continuously. Let's do that. Gideon, uh, Joah said, let Baal contend with him. And so it's not because of the act of Gideon, but the act of Joash that raised the banner of the Lord, raised the altar of the Lord, raised the Lord God, and put God in His place that Gideon very shyly raised up during the night. What about the fruit of our own fear? What about our fear? What does it look like to fear the Lord today? Brothers and sisters, to fear the Lord today is to remember who the Lord is and what He has done. Remember Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came. He died. He was resurrected so that the penalty of our sin is paid by Him. That whoever have come to the knowledge of this good news, a gift of God's salvation, and become aware of His sin, should repent of his sin and believe in the work of Jesus Christ, be saved, and have a united life with him by the powerful working of the Spirit, living together with the believers of the Lord in the church, helping one another in their sanctification. Even though sometimes we will disobey poorly. Help one another. Help one another. In pointing who should we find our pleasure, our comfort, our, relax, our uh, relaxation more than Netflix. 
find your relaxation, comfort, pleasure in reading the Word of God to know about Jesus Christ. Help one another in finding delight and satisfaction not on pornography, but on the Lord Jesus Christ. Tear it down. Replace it with the, the delight of Jesus Christ alone. Is your desire for a better life or, a, or fear of future dictating your action instead of resting in the sovereign hand of God? Tear that down. Make the Lord sovereign in your life. Let Him bring peace to you and hope for the future. There are many things that controls our actions, attitudes, emotions, thoughts, behaviors, response. And if the Lord is not in the center or the proper object of our fear, tear down those idols. Raise up the altar for the Lord. Make the Lord the proper object of your fear because He is our salvation. Let's pray.